Ben and Kay Takwaye now presents Strange the Dreamer, Part 2, from the Strange the Dreamer series by Lonnie Taylor. to another episode of M&K Talk YA. I'm Katie Bradford. And I'm Marissa Snyder. And this week on our Young Adult Fiction Podcast, we finished Strange the Dreamer by Lonnie Taylor. Yeah, so we finished the first book. There's another one left called Muse of Nightmares. I know, there's only two this time. I, I love duologies, but I'm also sad because I love this world. I'm actually okay with it being a duology because this first book broke my heart. <laughs> and I'm just kind of like, I don't know how much more heartache I can take. You know? Yeah, I am kind of curious where things go. Well, it just, I'm curious how we have another 500 pages, sort of. Yes. Well, I mean, I kind of get it because, like, she set up the next book perfectly, I think. Mm-hmm. But, like, I don't want it to be a, a whole other book of, like, just despair where these two people are kept apart for longer than they have to be. Like, I'm really nervous. Yeah. So in this book are two main characters. One is up in the Citadel floating above Weep, and one is in Weep, and they meet in their in his dreams, I guess. Mm-hmm. And all they want to do is meet in person. Ugh. That's all they want. That's really. all they want. And and like, I love how they fall in love in his dreams, and like how his dreams are so beautiful, and like he imagines the whole city, colorful and lively and full of people, and. That's how they fall in love, and they're in this, like, Mm -hmm. mythical dream world that can't exist, and it's the only way they can be together. And how she finds, like, safety and comfort there, because she's been basically living in people's nightmares. Mm Mm-hmm. And that's why the end was just so awful. (laughs) It was so awful. But why, Marissa? They get to hang out. They they get to see each other in person, Uh, finally. Yep. (laughs) And, And the only reason they do is because she's dead. Yes. She is now a ghost, and he is now a god. They, like, completely kind of switched roles in a way, because, like, before Laszlo was like this, he felt like he was this nobody-nothing librarian who barely existed, and she was a god, and now it's, like, he's come into all this power, and the one person he couldn't save was her. Yeah, he saved literally everybody else. He saved the whole city. No one's killed each other between the two groups that hate each other yet. And like the w- and that's the other thing I was well I mean because the beginning of this book they started with a scene where someone with who matches Sarai's description falls and dies true so I like kind of knew it was coming but I also was expecting it to be more anyone else <laughs> I thought it was gonna be anyone else me well I thought Sparrow. it was gonna be someone like pushing her or like more of a like not like mm. she just fell yeah like I thought there was gonna be more. Even if it wasn't directed at her, some kind of, like, interaction that, I don't know. That led for her to fall. Like, some act of violence, or she threw herself off, or something. Something a little yeah, bit more exactly. intentional than just falling. Yeah, that, that's what almost was the most sad to yeah. me. I was like, oh, if she had, if there had just been a branch there, or if she had been inside in that moment, or... Or just a railing. <sighs> yeah. And it was like the one time he could touch her was when she... Yeah, she couldn't feel it. Was, was her dead mm-hmm. body. Ah! 
Yeah. I loved that when they were talking about, she kept, or she said something about how when everyone dies, they think they just have to, like, hold on to life. Mm-hmm. Or before someone dies, they might think that, but there was nothing to hold on to. I loved, like, that part yeah. of it. Because I don't, like, actually, actually think that, but I've kind of thought about that before, especially when we've, even when we've read about, like, superheroes and blah, 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 whatever. It's, like, how much is a will to live versus when do you really not have a choice? You know, like, how much it's mind over matter versus matter over mind. And it was kind of – I love that part. I thought it was beautiful. Yeah, that whole part when she was, like, describing um, turning into a ghost and, like, how she felt mm-hmm. herself, FNS or whatever they called it. Um, and she was, like, there was – yeah, mm-hmm. there was, like, nothing to tether her. And, and like, it was so sad, but, of course, it's Lonnie Taylor, so it's beautiful at the same time. Yeah. And it's just, like, it was so – it was completely heartbreaking. It was. And I didn't expect – I didn't expect it either. I think that's what was, like, so jarring because, like, when I heard someone fall, I was, like, there's no way it's going to be Sarai. I thought it was going to be Minya or anyone else. But they talked about her hair at the beginning, and they talked about – and true. she And that was, like, what distinguished her. But I really thought it was going to be – or less like an accident, less like I don't know. I felt like it was going to be like, oh, she made a choice, or she, you know, did something, and mm-hmm. that was the risk. But it wasn't like that. And I thought they'd get to see each other first for sure. I know that's what's just so cruel. Yeah. And so, for better or worse, Minya, who is everyone's favorite six-year-old, that's sarcastic. <laughs> um, was able to save her soul, so she is able to stay as a ghost, and she didn't fully have an S, but what she's able to do with someone, if she has tethered their soul, is basically control them. So she gives them substance, but she also has the ability to, like, overwrite their Takes free will. Takes their will. Yeah. yeah. And so now she's basically using Sarai to threaten Laszlo, and she's saying, you have to do exactly what I say, or I will let her soul and I will let her ghost go. Mm-hmm. And even crueler than all of that, which would be bad enough just keeping her captive, but she's, like, forcing Sarai to be the one to say it. it you know, like, mm-hmm. it's just, like, killing them both, even though they know it's it's not her. But And I was surprised, though, that the being a ghost, like, she still was able to keep her, her body. Like, she has a solid form. And, like, when they kissed, it was the same as how it was in their dreams. Like, it felt Mm -hmm. very real to them. So I was kind of glad for that. That was a little more than I expected. Um, But the whole thing with Minya now tethering her is so terrible because I feel like if, like, Minya is the whole reason why there's not peace between the two groups yet or why they're not at least talking. But without Minya, I don't think Sarai can exist. So I think if Minya were to die, so would Sarai. And that's what's, like, horrifying to me. Yeah. It's like you want to get rid of her because she's a big impediment to this piece that we'd love to see. But if we got rid of her, we lose someone we really don't want to lose. And that whole scene, too, like when Laszlo takes Rasselas and, and climbs the Cinnadel and confronts Minya, I, I kind of liked that we saw Minya's perspective of like, who is this man who's all of a sudden coming up here and like usurping my authority, kind of, because she's been the one to like hold it all together. In her mind, at least, like, she was a six-year-old girl saving all these babies. She had this huge burden, and she tried to keep it together as much as she could. Like, I think at first she probably roped the souls in because, like, they needed people to care for them. Like, they couldn't do everything on their own. Well, and in part, when she kept the souls, 
it like got more extreme later. Like it seemed like at first she was keeping them and it was like great Ellen and lesser Ellen and like these people, they like really did kind of have a community. They weren't like being forced in every single action besides like not being able to hurt them or something. And then she like went to an extreme. But then we also saw that one ghost, I forget his name, the one who hated her so much saying something like he actually didn't want to Evanesce anymore because he didn't want to stop existing. So there is kind of, there's this interesting relationship. Yeah. What do you do if, when your controller is the only one that's keeping you alive? <laughs> I don't know. Well, and so I texted you. We didn't actually talk about this on the podcast, but I texted you because I was thinking that something about Laszlo's past yeah. would come back. And we still don't have a lot of answers, but we have reason to believe that he, good reason <laughs> to believe that he is Mina's half brother mm-hmm. and whatever the gods were doing with the god spawn after they left the nursery somehow strange ended up in a different country orphaned yep and hidden from view and because he's scathis's son his gift is he can move the mesarthim like the metal yeah which means he can both free the people of weep or become another tyrant that's true especially if minya is controlling him yeah and that's what's like so scary because i think laszlo like that moment when he realizes that he's Godspawn and he comes back and his skin's blue and he like saves the Citadel from toppling. Um, mm-hmm. You see all the people who he was traveling with, like Errol Fane and Azarine and Ruza and all of his friends, and they've become so fond of him. And then they see him presented as like their worst nightmare. And mm-hmm. he realizes at first, like, there's they're familiar with him, but there's also like this hidden fear and disgust. But then Aerofane is the one who steps forward and he's like, you saved us all. Like, you're still my friends. Like, he kind of accepts him. And so I felt like that was a huge step because Laszlo could have been the one to kind of bridge the gap to be like, yeah. you know me, I'm not a terrible person. Like, you don't have to fear us just because we look like we're gods. It was a great opportunity. Such yeah. a great opportunity. And now I, now I have no idea what's going to happen. Well, and it, I mean, it is interesting to think about all, like, I mean, it really is a comment on a lot of stuff that is happening in society with this kind of, like, hatred toward certain groups of people based on how they look and um, not really getting to know them. And then when you do get to know, like, how that all deals with it. And then even Laszlo's initial impression when he came to Weep and started hearing part of the story and thinking, oh, well, if they knew that there's some kids up there... Of course they'd want to help you. And then realizing, oh, no, the hatred runs so deep. And it's like that misunderstanding is so wide on both sides, really, that... That they would kill babies. Yeah, they would kill babies. They don't have the regret. Their initial reaction is fear. Yeah. And even when he justifies, he was like, he was like, you could have taken the children and raised them with love. Like, you Mm -hmm. could have kept the babies and, like, raised them to, to love you and to love them back, but... It was just so ingrained. And, like, it's hard to blame them, too. Well, and Sarai kind of does the same thing on the opposite end because Minya yep. taught her to hate, and she, you know, has this realization at some point, too, where she's like, instead of giving them nightmares and encouraging yeah. them to keep fearing and hating us, I could have been communicating some other message to them mm-hmm. and, like, helping rebuild the relationship. Because you do see glimpses of... Um, not so much love, but just curiosity when um, Errol Fane realizes that his daughter's alive. I mean, you could you could see there was a moment where he was almost mm-hmm. hopeful that he'd get to meet her, and especially his mother, Shwe- uh, Shwela, because 
she would be yeah. uh, Sarai's grandmother. And she, like, is the one who asks Laszlo, like, does she hate us very much? And he was like, no, not at all. So you can see, like, there's mm-hmm. some curiosity just to be, like, just for acknowledging that relationship. Like, you are my granddaughter. You are my daughter. Like, what could there be if there wasn't this hatred between us? Yeah. Especially because they have had 15 years mm-hmm. to, like, calm down and maybe think about the things they've done also. Totally. I don't know. It's it's rough, though. It's rough, and it's rough because, like, I think what struck me as, like, so beautiful about Laszlo and Sarai's love story is that it was just so pure, and it was so innocent, and it was so beautiful, and it was in the middle of all of this horror, horrible stuff. You know, mm-hmm. like... The stories of like what the gods did to the humans and like how the women would come back with their tattoos all marred and like even though their memories were gone they still realized that they had had a child and just how horrible that was and so like in the middle of it it just made their relationship like that so much so much more pure and beautiful and like wholesome and right and it like really set off the two relationships in an interesting way what do you think about Azarine and Errol's relationship. So I have a question actually about that because when they killed the gods, they were both up on the Citadel, so they both remember everything, and she was pregnant at that point, correct? Yes, she was because she had the baby and they took it away immediately. And they didn't want, and she didn't want to see it. Okay, so that's what I was, I wasn't sure if she like forced an abortion or she... No, they they did say she had it Uh, and then they took it away. Okay. But yeah, I mean, I think it's so sad. I think she or Lenny T- Taylor said it somehow um, there was like a moment where Azarine was crying and it was because it was so difficult to love a man who didn't love himself mm-hmm. and I thought that was like a really good way to put it like Errol Fane is just so tore up with guilt and shame but also a feeling of like I had no choice people call yeah. him a hero but yet he did this horrible thing where he killed all those babies so but it's sad to see them, like, instead of turning towards each other for comfort, they turn the opposite way. Like, they can't... Yeah. They almost can't look at each other because looking at each other is, like, such a painful reminder of what they've been through. Yeah. Ugh. I love all the different couples that we see, though. I think Lonnie Taylor yeah. does a good job of that, of having, like, multiple very different relationships that you're kind of interested in seeing. So, obviously, Sarai and Laszlo, the two we just talked about. And then we also have Ruby and Farrell. Oh, gosh, those two. And they're also just very, very different and, like, uh, lighter (laughs) in a lot of ways, but also have their own kind of Mm -hmm. complications, especially with um, Sparrow. Is that her name? Sparrow, yeah. Yeah, Sparrow had feelings for Feral as well and just, yeah. So it's just, it's, there's just a lot going on. some drama going up in the Citadel. Well, to be fair, with a bunch of 16 and 17-year-olds with nothing else to do, I feel like it would be weird if yeah, that was bound to happen. nothing was ever explored at all. I agree. I just kind of hope that Farrell ends up with someone he really wants to be with instead of someone he's, he's just with, you know, by circumstance, kind of. I, feel, I think they both kind of yeah. feel that way. Like, there's no, I don't know if there's genuine love between them. I think they're just kind of having fun. Which is fine, but it's sad that Sparrow got hurt in the crossfire. Yeah, I think to some extent, though, they are just having fun, and that was their plan, but there's might be more feelings there than they anticipated. Yeah, that's true. But we shall see. I also just love 
the description of just like something as simple as kissing Mm -hmm. like she just described that so beautifully and like in so much detail and made it so poetic and pretty and like like her love scenes are they're just so beautiful and they're not even love scenes they're just like two people coming together and like the like the wonder that that they have of each other is like captured so well yeah yeah I love the way she writes I'll just keep saying that over and over again I just think like if I had to pick my favorite scene or like a scene that I would love to see in the on a movie the scene where the citadel falls just sounds Mm -hmm. so terrifying and then how like can you imagine just like one man just like running towards that thing like and sticking his arms like into the metal that no one's been able to move for hundreds of years and then like when the angel wings fold and like the sky's finally revealed for the first time in like years yeah that would be so cool to see this a lot of this movie would be i mean a lot of this would be really cool to see as a movie i feel like i'd want to see something in their dreams just because they're so fascinating like watching their date with the the wing shop and all of that i think would be kind of a fun scene as well and the centaur and his lady yeah and And just even seeing that comparison between the weep of reality and the weep that it could be like its best self Mm -hmm. um would be fun it was sad that one time when they ha- they like were kept apart for a really long time, and when she finally got into his dreams, it was like gray and dull because it was like he was filled with despair. Mm-hmm. And then as they got as they spent more time together, it became beautiful and colorful and lively again. Yeah. I, I liked that. Yep. We still have a lot of questions though. I love to your point. It what they did like set it up well because I feel like we had enough resolution of some things, but we also had. It wasn't like total cliffhangery. I don't know how to explain it, but you know, we found out a lot of stuff, but we obviously still have a lot of questions and there's a lot of places for it to go. Like, what did happen to the God Spawn when they left the nursery? How did Laszlo get to be who he is? Uh, yeah, who do you think his mother is? I don't know. That's a good question. I'm trying to think. Cause, I mean, there's six gods. We know he's the son of Scathus, so it has to be a human. Yeah. But we don't really know that many humans. We don't know that many humans. So, unless he, yeah. And I and he's not that old. Right, but he is older than Sarai, because he's like 20 and she's like 16. Yeah, so it was a few years before the carnage. So it wasn't, it wasn't Azarine. Or no, no. She, he must be a lot older. Well, not maybe not a lot older than her, but 15 years ago is when the carnage happened, right? Mm-hmm. And he was like 8 or 9. He was five. Oh, is that how young he was in that when mm-hmm. he was? I don't know why I forgot he was that little. Yeah, he was pretty young. Yeah, I really want to know who his mother is. Yeah, I do too. And I also have a theory about the um, where the babies went. Okay, what is it? I think the gods killed them. So why would they make such a point about breeding to develop, to raise them in the nursery to then kill them? What would be... Well, I feel like I feel like they were hoping to breed a baby with a very specific gift, and that's why that one god would always come and test them mm. at a certain age, and then Minya was the one who says, as soon as you were tested, they would take you away. And that's why she concealed her power mm-hmm. for so long. So I'm just... And, and, and it would make sense if they were looking for a specific gift, if they wanted to breed as much as possible, to have as many chances as possible to get that yeah. gift. But I'm just curious because it seems like... Um, Laszlo's gift is like the one that everyone wanted like to move the metal 
but he was cast away. So I'm just not sure. I'm not sure how he got out of there, but, and I'm not sure if they actually kill the babies, but yeah, that's they really just them. what I'm thinking. But I'm mm-hmm. just really curious, like, if that's true, what was the gift they were looking for? Yeah. No, I like that story. That actually is a good motive for why you would do both of those things. I might be completely wrong. Because we still don't even know why they came. So maybe they no. came because they had to, maybe it's something where you, they had to breed with humans or they were trying to escape something or whatever they where they came from they needed that's what they were looking for some particular skill for to deal with life back in their home. Okay, do we think there's any connection to the daughter of smoke and bone where like were these the monsters? I don't know. I was thinking about that at one point. Well, because we talked about you know, cuz in the in Daughter of Smoke and Bone there's a lot of talk about angels and Mm-hmm. going to different worlds and all this stuff but if it is a connection it's like a completely different realm I don't I don't think they're the monsters I feel like this is in the realm though where like you, you know they talk about like cutting through the mm-hmm. to the different worlds I think this is definitely one of the worlds maybe I, I mean I would <laughs> I would buy that but it's not the world it's not either of the worlds that we really lived in for daughter of smoke and no, bone yeah, but it could be true. one of the other realms that the legend went through the original angels or whatever yeah i'm just like i can't wait to see how it all ties together yeah no i agree i have a lot of questions and i'm excited um oh i also really like um how the relationship between thion and uh laszlo is kind of continuing to grow because i liked that moment where Thion has been, like, using his own spirit to try and come up with a solution to how to move the metal, mm-hmm. uh, which is also cool because we learned that they have two hearts and two, like, vas- cardiovascular systems where, like, one vein carries spirit and one vein carries blood. Yeah. That was cool. Um, and Laszlo just, like, offers his his spirit because he's like, you're you're draining too much of yours. Like, I know this is an ingredient, like... I can help you. And again, Theon is like, why are you helping me? Like, what is your ulterior motive? Yeah. Um, And then, of course, his spirit is the one that ends up, like, being able to move the metal. So then Theon is, like, doubly angry because he wasn't the hero who was able to save everyone. Well, Annie suspects Laszlo knew and was, like, manipulating him somehow and he wasn't sure how. And then he finds out Laszlo had no idea either. (laughs) I love that moment when... Laszlo just looks at him like, wow, you did it? And the guy's like, wait, I thought, wait, what? (laughs) I want to see more of them together because I really like, I just love the dynamic between like the golden godson and the the insignificant librarian and just like how those tables have shifted so much now. Um, Yeah. And also like I just, I like Theon as a character because he's very... He's very disciplined and he's very determined and he, like, really wants to solve the problem. But he's also just so mm-hmm. suspicious of people and, like, can't let people in. And even Sarai was, like, he's beautiful on the outside, but she doesn't stay in his dreams because they're so horrible. Yeah. And we know a little bit about his past, so it kind of makes sense. Yeah. But, you know, I hope maybe we'll see him grow. I hope so. Oh, prediction. Ooh. Maybe Ruby falls in love with Theon. Hmm. <laughs> and then Sparrow and Farrell end up together? Yeah, because I feel like there was a minute where Ruby was like, oh, I kind of wish I would love someone who only loved me, you yeah. know? Mm-hmm. And and I think she's, like, fiery and passionate enough for Theon. But he, I feel like he only loves himself, so he would definitely That's have to true. grow to deserve 
or to be the kind of person that Ruby's looking for, I think. That's true. I but, agree with that. But it, I, it's interesting. <laughs> what do you think Minya wants? I think she wants to kill everyone. <laughs> but then what? Like that, like, or at least she wants to kill some of the people probably, but does she want to like recreate what the gods had and just like rule from up high and be, you know, rule with terror and be in charge? Or does she, like, does she want something? Or does she just want vengeance and hasn't thought beyond that? Or something I in think, between? I think she wants to be queen. Because remember she like, cons- she talked about how she considered herself the queen of the citadel. I think she wants to reestablish dominance over all the humans. Like, I think she wants to kill anyone who invades them and then uh, enslave them again. Yeah. Or she could use Laszlo to free them from the Citadel and go anywhere they wanted, I guess. But I don't see that happening. I see. Yeah, no, I see her kind of continuing her father's ways. Yeah. Maybe not his exact ways, but like his reign of terror, basically. I wonder if the gods spawn even know why the gods were breeding with the humans. They probably don't. I'm curious to see, because Errol Fane remembers his relationship with, is it, is it, what's her name? The other, Isigal. Isigal. Yeah. So I'm curious what more he knows that we haven't learned yet about the gods. That's a good point. Because I feel like he probably knows more since she forced him to love her and kept her, him there for so long. And he kept his memories, I bet there's more that we'll learn from him at some point. I think we will too. And I think at the end, whenever he has that moment where he and Azarine finally do like come together, Mm -hmm. I think maybe that will help draw it out of him. Like maybe he will be more willing to to speak about it. I'm also curious to see him interact with Sarai, even as a ghost. Yeah. And how that goes. If they can have some relationship. Because honestly, like all she wants to, all she wants is to be wanted. Yeah. You know, she just wants someone to love her and, like, not be afraid of her. Yeah. Ugh, but now she's sad. dead. <laughs> I know. I know. I kept expecting it, her to not be dead. Like, I kept expecting for it to be like, oh, and then she woke up. <laughs> I know that's lame, but I was just like, I, I was refusing to believe it for so long. Or even when we thought there might be another power that someone could, like, fuse exactly. them Exactly. Yeah, yeah, I know. Maybe, uh, uh... Yeah, that feels like there is no potential, possible true happy ending to this. It seems right. like some things can resolve, but you're not, we're not going to get, like, the 100% happy satisfaction that we want because things are so contradictory at this point. And she's dead already, so. And she know. now has this, like, Shades of Magic, Kel, Rye situation where she's tethered to someone. Yeah, who like, can control everything she does. And hates everything. <laughs> mm-hmm. Great. <sighs> okay. How terrible would that be to be used as a tool against the person you love and have no control over it? That would be worse than dying. Yeah. Honestly. Maybe we'll find out something about the gods and that actually when you become a ghost and you can evanesce, you go to this other place and uh, Laszlo also does something and sacrifices himself for the whole town of Weep, and they both go evanesce together into In their dream world. A happy, happy dream world. Yeah. I really hope that's what happens. <laughs> I don't think so. But <laughs> I just hope that Lanzo doesn't get angry because, like, I he always talks about how like rage doesn't suit him. You know, like he's such a he's such a happy, kind of innocent, wholesome person. 
I just hope this doesn't destroy him and like make him angry and bitter and like someone he's not, he's not. I mean, it's going to have to corrupt him in one way or another at this point. Like, I don't. It's an impossible choice that he's going to be put into if it does come down to a, you know, do what Minya says against everyone else you care about and keep Sarai alive, or choose everyone else and let Sarai die or Evanes or whatever. I don't know. Yeah, it's going to be. He's going to have. He's going to have some bad moments for sure. Yeah. Um. Did you do any research this week? I did. I so we heard a little bit about the Illiths or whatever they're called, the tattoos that the women get on oh, their bellies yeah. when they reach maturity. And we also saw Sarai kind of like that was kind of what she identified with as being human and being accepted. She thought they were beautiful and she really like wanted mm-hmm. to have that as well. So I looked into some different uh, rituals or traditions around other coming of age Ooh. things around the world. So that's what I looked into. Oh, I'm excited. Tell me. So some of them, you know, there's a lot of things that like I've attended bar and bat mitzvahs and sweet 16s and I've heard about quinceaneras and stuff. So I tried to find some that I hadn't heard mm-hmm. of before I did this research. So this one I thought was really interesting. There is this indigenous tribe in the Amazon in Brazil called the Satare Maui tribe. Mm-hmm. I probably did not say, pronounce that right. I apologize. And when they turn 13 or so, they have, it's called the bullet ant initiation. Whoa. Bullet ant? Yeah. Ooh. So they have to, so the bullet ant is a type of ant, I guess. So they search the jungle for bullet ants and then they sedate them by putting them into like some kind of herbal solution and then they weave them into gloves where the stingers point inside the glove oh no and they put the gloves on and about an hour after they've been sedated the ants wake up really angry and the boys have to wear the glove for 10 minutes oh and during the pain is supposed to be like <gasps> you know i'm ready for manhood i oh my god you know like i'm not weak i'm strong all this stuff and i guess um, over like several months, this initiation takes place, and they end up wearing the gloves twenty times or something like that. For twenty so, for ten minutes each time, I think so. That's way too many times. It's you should see these gloves. That, like I'll send you a picture later. Um, but and the ants are just yeah. stinging them the whole time. Oh, yeah. The ants are around one inch long. Oh my god. Yeah, that's horrifying. And, every, and all of the boys have to do it? Oh. I don't know if, you know, a lot of these traditions now, these are like old traditions. So some of them, mm-hmm. they still do in certain parts of the world or they do kind of a modified version of it or it's an yeah. optional thing or whatever. So don't take like everything I'm saying as like yeah. currently today, every single person in these communities goes through it. So I don't have like stats or anything on that. Okay. But, but yeah, so that one was kind of crazy. Um, so the sting of a bullet ant tops the SSPI scale, the Schmidt Sting Pain Index. Mm. So I guess it, this index like rates pain caused by different stinging bugs or whatever. So it's considered 30 oh. times more painful than a bee sting. What? And the reason they got the name bullet ant is because it's been compared to the pain of being shot. Oh no. And the (gasps) venom that they have causes shakes and paralysis that can take 24 hours to, like, leave the body. So, I mean, you know, 10 minutes of that is going to be a long 10 minutes. I'd be like, I'm not going to be a man. (laughs) 
I'll just stay a child forever. <laughs> yeah. And I think I think that one was Yay. only boys too. A lot of these were only boys. I know in the the book mm. it was a female coming of age thing that we were talking about. So but I accidentally found mostly things that were like about creating warriors and mm-hmm. stuff like that. Um, some of which allowed women and men and but many of which were just men specific. Um so this one I'd actually heard of before, but I hadn't thought about it in a while. So have you do you know about the rum springer? It's a oh, yeah. Amish tradition. Running around. Yep. Mm-hmm. So when traditional Amish families, if someone when someone turns sixteen, they basically are encouraged and allowed to like leave for weekends at a time unsupervised and explore like what else the world has to offer. So whether that's wearing modern clothing instead of traditional Amish clothes. Amish clothing or drinking alcohol or some of the other stuff that isn't part of the Amish tradition and the idea is that like they can see and experience what else is out there and the hope is that they'll return to the community and choose to the Amish way of life for themselves if that makes sense so when they come back they're baptized and like re-admitted recommitted to the Amish church and the community and all of that have you ever seen the show Breaking Amish no, I haven't. Oh my god, I loved that show. Um, it was about like these five. It was like four or five Amish kids, and it followed them around during their rumspringa. Oh, that would be interesting. It was so. It's a reality TV show. It's and I don't like reality TV, but I for some reason like really got into this show. <laughs> and it's like the two girls um, like try to become models and. They're all living in New York together in this one apartment, and there's like, oh my god, it's so good. You should definitely try and watch it. My problem with reality TV shows is I don't like any of them when I think about it, but if I start watching literally any reality TV show, I get hooked and sucked in, and I'm like, Mm -hmm. oh, actually, this one is really, really good. But then if I miss an episode, I can usually get myself out of it pretty quickly, too, but... Well, this sucks me in, and I don't even like reality TV. <laughs> One of my favorite reality TV shows I ever watched was called Beverly Hills Nannies. I've never seen that one. I think there's only it, there wasn't even on for very long, but it was like one of the first reality TV shows I ever really liked. It was just about a bunch of nannies who worked for like really wealthy Beverly Hills oh, families gosh. that like you were know nightmares. had kind of ridiculous requests. But it was like the <laughs> nanny side of it, and I don't know, it was pretty funny. Um, would you like to hear some other coming-of-age traditions? Mm-hmm. Okay, so this one is in Ethiopia, and it's kind of more of like a bachelor party rite of passage. So for mm. grooms before they marry, um, it's called the it's called the Hammer Cow Jumping Ritual, I guess. So basically, <laughs> the men have to jump over a castrated male cow four times while naked, and it's supposed to symbolize like leaving childhood behind. And if you're successful, you're considered one of the Maza, um, and they're like the supervising men of the village or territory Hmm. or whatever. I'm trying to think how high a cow is and if I could do that. I might need a boost. I don't think I could do it. I'm not a very good jumper, to be honest. Me either. Um, And I'm not very tall. And I don't know, like, I don't know what rules there are. Maybe if the cow was lying down, I could do it. You know, I work, I work with dairy cows now. Should I, like, go oh, God. ask some people at the farm if they've ever jumped over one? Naked? <laughs> yeah, that'd be a great thing to ask to get your new job. Oh, I'd really love to go see the dairy farm finally. Or, yeah, the farm finally. I have some questions to ask. Uh, okay. I kind of like that one. So 
This one. Yeah, I tried to pick some that were just like kind of really different. So this is this is called the land di- the land divers. So the Van Vanuatu, which is a small island in the middle of the South Pacific. They when young boys reach a certain age, they'll jump off of a ninety eight foot tall tower. Nope. With a bungee like vine tied around their ankles that's supposed to stop them from hitting supposed the ground. Supposed to. But so like so a bungee cord, you know, is like an elastic thing and whatever the vine is not elastic and so they say like a slight miscalculation and vine length could lead to broken bones or even death and you know every boy is a little bit different or whatever so usually they begin jumping at around age seven or eight um although they might start at a shorter tower (laughs) and they said in their first dives their mother will hold an item representing their childhood and then after the jump that they'll throw away that like childhood item and that symbolizes you know they've reached adulthood so they keep jumping off higher taller and taller towers and that's supposed to like demonstrate their manliness or whatever that's very like a child would have to be very brave to do that but also some of the stuff you know it like sound like same with like the bullet dance it's like oh my goodness can you imagine doing that but also if everyone you know yeah does it and grow like it's also something if you see it all the time too it's probably like it's still probably scary i'm not saying but like but you know you're gonna do it you can it, prepare it becomes for like it. a certain yeah yeah I, that acceptance is a little bit different and there's something too like about having everyone you know surrounding you like cheering you on being like you know you can do this like supporting you i feel like that helps a lot too and obviously very different traditions but i mean you think about uh confirmations bat bar mitzvahs bat mitzvahs sweet 16s quinceanera like i mean for kids at a certain age, like, even just that symbolic nature of, like, now I'm an adult and I've proved it and mm-hmm. I've, you know, like, I feel like that means a lot, too. Yeah. Um, this one's kind of interesting. It's called the Sunrise Ceremony, and this one is actually for girls. So hmm. um, it's part of the Apache tradition. They said this is one of the ones that, like, is pretty much not practiced at all today, or if it is, it's, like, a lot different than it used to be. But mm. it when like a woman hit puberty so the summer after their first menstruation they had to complete the sunrise ceremony and it was called nice probably not at all how you pronounce that Mm. um and it was a four-day ceremony and they had to like follow a bunch of rules and they were painted and they weren't allowed to let anything like touch their skin or wash at all they could only drink out of like a this certain kind of drinking tube and they would reenact the apache origin myth which i should have looked up and i did not but it's supposed to bring that female closer to the first woman known as the white painted woman or changing woman um and like it would transfer her power to them during the ceremony so i actually really like that there were a lot of things too especially with like more indigenous groups all around the world that would have some kind of uh, go out for a day or two and like survive or hunt mm-hmm. something specific or you know complete this task out on your own for this period of time and come back but yeah the sunrise ceremony some of these pictures are cool too just like the the painting that they do it's so the ceremony itself it's like a lot of dancing and singing and ritual and history and um the paint that they're painted with is like some pollen mixture I guess which you know represents fertility yeah I just like that idea because it's, like, and, like, especially in this book, too, like, whenever the girls, like, have their first menstruation, too, they get this tattoo. 
and it's kind of like and it's a celebration I just like the idea of like celebrating that instead of like in our culture it's kind of like this embarrassing thing that you don't really talk about and you're like oh yeah I got my period <laughs> like you know yeah no that's I just think it's kind true. of mm-hmm. better to like celebrate it and make it a really positive thing well and it, it I mean when you think about it the, you get your period it means you're able to bear children yeah. which most groups of people want to procreate so you would think that should be celebrated but I just like that there's not shame assigned there's not there's no shame there's no embarrassment well I mean maybe there is but um it's more of a celebration instead of like something that you're kind of don't talk about and you know Mm -hmm. that is hidden a little bit yep okay I also just read you know how I was talking about the bungee jumping group Mm -hmm. I read that I guess if you touched the ground, it was supposed to signify you'd have a good harvest. And if you died, it would signify oh. that there'd be a great harvest. So that, so, oh, no. but basically they would try and get as close, or you would want to yeah, be as, as close, close as, as possible. Could. You wouldn't want to like have too much of a buffer mm. window. Yikes. Yeah. It's also interesting to think about some of the different ages, you know, like some of yeah. these we were talking about, we were, I said eight or nine year olds and some of them are like 20 year olds and, you know, uh. Some of them are after the first menstrual cycle, which might change over the years anyways. And I've heard it's been getting younger. Mm-hmm. And so it is kind of cool, like, what people – it feels like a lot of cultures have some distinction between childhood and adulthood, right? But, like, where they draw the line yeah. really differs. When you cross over. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it's not until marriage. Yep. And if you jumped over a cow four times, you know? <laughs> Maybe we should do that at your bachelorette party this weekend. <laughs> oh, my goodness. <laughs> I don't want to go to the ER, but – uh. Maybe. <laughs> what did you research? Okay, um, so I was really interested in how Thion, Theon, I don't know how to pronounce his name. Um, I really liked how he was, like, all this stuff was going on, and he was just kind of secluded in his little workshop trying to distill this material that would somehow destroy the metal. Yeah. And I liked how he was, um, like, using his own spirit and, like, not letting anyone come in and it was just like him experimenting but using himself as kind of like the test dummy mm-hmm. so i researched uh scientists who were their own guinea pigs oh i like that much better than random people being guinea pigs and hearing about terrible things yeah. scientists have done over the years <laughs> agreed um but just to warn you it's a little bit gross <laughs> <laughs> no pictures then no um okay so there was a man whose name was stubbins firth And he uh, lived in the early 19th century, and he was determined to prove that yellow fever was not contagious. Okay. Um, Why did he think that was the case? Like, I feel like if you're, like, if that's the norm, if people assume it's contagious, you must have a reason you don't agree with that, right? I Yeah. I mean, yellow fever is very contagious, um, but it is only contagious if it's transmitted into your bloodstream. Okay. So that's why, like, yellow fever-infected mosquitoes can transmit the disease. So his self-experimentation involved taking fresh black vomit from a patient with yellow fever and pouring it into cuts in his arm. Ooh. And he didn't get yellow fever. Wow. Um, And so then he started taking the vomit and putting it into his eyes and then taking other assorted body fluids from yellow fever patients including blood, spit, sweat, and urine, and, um, like, smearing them all over his body. Oh. Um, and then he sat in a vomit sauna. Have you ever heard of one of those? 
I have not heard of one of those. <laughs> and I don't want to do it, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> I won't even describe it because you can kind of imagine what that is. Mm-hmm. Is that a real thing that people do? No, he just... Okay. He, he created. Just, he, yeah, okay. This not-so-person decided to do this. Um, so then he finally took to actually ingesting the vomit in pill form. And then he didn't get ill, and so he considered his case proven, but... What he should have been doing is test on his blood to figure yep. out an antidote or whatever. <laughs> yep. So finally, there was a U.S. Army surgeon, Jesse Lazier, who allowed himself to be bitten by yellow fever-infected mosquitoes in the early 1900s, and um, unfortunately, he died from that. Ooh. But it was finally proved that it is contagious, just not through <laughs> vomit saunas. Okay. So... There's no need to ever do a vomit sauna, but should you do one, you won't. You won't get yellow fever. Yellow fever. <laughs> okay, good to know. Um, okay, so there was another doctor. His name is Barry Marshall, and he um, actually won the 2005 Nobel Peace Prize for physiology because he refused to believe that stomach ulcers were caused by uh, lifestyle. So. You know, before people would say like, oh, you know, if you live a certain lifestyle, if you eat certain foods, you could develop a stomach ulcer. But mm-hmm. he was convinced that there was a bacterium. It has some Latin name that I can't pronounce. Um, so he believed that there was a bacteria that was, that was causing ulcers. So to prove his hypothesis, mm-hmm. he decided he was going to test it on himself because he determined that he was the only person informed enough to consent. So he swallowed this bacteria and then after three days, he began vomiting, and he had really bad breath, and they took a biopsy 10 days later and confirmed that the bacteria had given him a stomach ulcer. Wow. Yeah. So it took eight years for his theory to be widely accepted, but um, he was at least recognized for it. Those are interesting, too. So it's one thing to say, I don't think this causes something, so I'm going to take the risk because I believe so strongly that I'm not going to get it. It's another to be like, I think this causes something. (laughs) To prove it, I'm going to do said cause. Yep. Wow. I don't think I truly do have a scientist uh, passion. (laughs) Not like this, at least. Mm -hmm. Um, Okay, so in 2004, there was um, an an immunologist, David Pritchard, who believed that certain parasites can actually improve a human's immune system um, to defend against allergies and possibly autoimmune illnesses. Hmm. So he, this is horrible, he injected 50 hookworms underneath his skin and then tested, I guess, the effects of his immune system. And he found out that certain parasites do help strengthen your immune system, but only 10 hookworms were necessary (laughs) to get the desired effect. (laughs) He had 50 hookworms in his body. Can you imagine? No. No, thank you. Okay, this is interesting. So there was an Air Force officer. His name was John Paul Stapp, and he wanted to see... (laughs) He wanted to test the human body's ability to withstand um, deacceleration. Okay. So he strapped himself onto a rocket sled that he nicknamed the (laughs) G-Wiz, and... (laughs) Basically shot it forward as fast as he could. It was at a speed close to that of sound. Um, and then he would break abruptly and determine basically what happened to him. Oh, my God. So he broke a bunch of bones and detached his retinas. Ugh. Um, but eventually determined that a human body can withstand 45 Gs of forward motion with an adequate harness. 
Oh my goodness. So also, it sounds like all these people didn't do any like animal testing or other like. No, they just went straight to themselves. Yeah, <laughs> they're which like... is better. I mean, I don't know. I feel like it's better. Like, have the courage to do it to yourself if you're gonna do it to someone else. Yeah. Well, before another person, I agree. <laughs> but like, I don't know. Same with these like boys jumping off stuff. It's like I don't want you to test it on yourself. I want you to like know that it's gonna work before a human does it. Yeah, that's true. Um, the last one was um, this man named Jack Barnes. He was a doctor, and he um, there was an illness that was affecting people living in northern Australia, and this was in 1961. And he believed that um, jellyfish were to cause for it, hmm. and it was like they it was people suffering from nausea, muscle pain, vomiting, and sometimes death. So sometimes death. That's is like one of the symptoms. And so he captured a box jellyfish that he thought was responsible for it, and then he stung himself, his son, and a local lifeguard, and all of them developed these side effects. How old was his son? That's a good question. They don't say that. I mean, I'm guessing he was old enough to, like, consent to this. Hopefully. (laughs) He was hospitalized, but was okay, Um, and then he found the answer to his hypothesis. But, like, can you imagine like stinging not only yourself but also your son and your friend no i can't especially if you think again if you think this causes the thing like it's one thing if you really believe people are unfairly attributing something but also i i do have some respect for these people who so passionately believe what they believe and want to prove it but if the side effect is death yeah don't sign me up oh my god i'm looking at these bullet ants you just sent me oh yeah i emailed you (laughs) oh Oh my god, the pinchers on that thing! <gasps> yeah, I don't want to run into one of those. I definitely don't want to put a glove of angry ones onto my hand for any amount of time. That is so horrible. It, it looks like like a crab claw. That's how big the pinchers are. Yeah, and they're, I mean, I don't like even regular Ooh. ants all that much. But I'm deleting that, I'm deleting that. Deleting that. <laughs> <laughs> Oof. Okay. Um, what else do we have to talk about? Um, our next book, but yeah, maybe we talk about. I don't know. I feel like yeah, I just am ready to book. read more again. I know, me too. Okay, do you want to tell us a little bit about Muse of Nightmares? Sure, I will read the inside cover. Okay, so the second one is called Muse of Nightmares, and it's the final one in the duology. Sarai has lived and breathed nightmares since she was six years old. She believed she knew every horror and was beyond surprise, but she was wrong. In the wake of tragedy, neither Laszlo nor Sarai are who they were before. One a god, the other a ghost. They struggle to grasp the new boundaries of their selves as dark-minded Minya holds them hostage, intent on vengeance against weak. Laszlo faces an unthinkable choice. Save the woman he loves or everyone else. (laughs) While Sarai feels more helpless than ever. But is she? Sometimes only the direst need can teach us our own depths, and Sarai, the muse of nightmares, has not yet discovered what she's capable of. As humans and gods spawn reel in the aftermath of the Citadel's near fall, a new foe shatters their fragile hopes, and the mysteries of the Mezzer theme are resurrected. Where did the gods come from and why? What was done with thousands of children born in the Citadel nursery? And most important of all, as forgotten doors are opened and new worlds revealed, must heroes always slay monsters, or is it possible to save them instead? Love and hate, revenge and redemption, destruction and salvation— all clash in this astonishing and heart-stopping sequel to the New York Times bestseller, Strange the Dreamer. Oh, that sounds so good. And we'll read up to part three for next week. <sighs> I'm so excited! Me too! 
And like you said, kind of heartbroken already. I'm hoping that there's some secret happy ending we haven't thought of. I hope there is too, because I really don't want to be heartbroken again. And I just really want Laszlo and Sarai to be together. I know, they both had such hard lives too, and like are good people, and yeah. Uh, Do you have a joke for me? Um, On a happier note? (laughs) I was looking for one just now. Okay, here's one. Okay. My wife is fed up of my constant wordplay jokes, so I asked her, how can I stop my addiction? Whatever means necessary, she replied. No, it doesn't, I said. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. (laughs) This is kind of funny. (laughs) I turned 18 today, so I bought a locket and put my own picture in it. Guess I really am independent. (laughs) It's so freaking dumb. I really hope I remember some of these when I can use them in my life. (laughs) Oh, this is funny. Why are French snails the fastest in the world? Um, they... I don't know. Less cargo. (laughs) (laughs) It's the best I could do. If anyone else has dad jokes or predictions or things they did when they reached adulthood. (laughs) Exactly. Or a science experiment they did on themselves, or really anything you'd like to share, you can email us at mnktalkya at gmail.com or find us on Instagram or Facebook at mnktalkya. Yeah, and now we're going to go keep reading. Bye, bookworms. Go get a library card. M&K Talk YA is produced and edited by Marissa Snyder and Katie Bradford. Original music composition by Timothy Milkey. Logo design by Marissa Snyder. For updates and extras, visit mnktalkya.com or follow us on Instagram and Facebook. And if you haven't already, please rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes. We would like to thank James Tobias, Chad Snyder, Meredith Kelfie, and Michael Howard for all of their support. Thanks for listening, and see you next time.